So many of us here in the room and watching online are very fortunate to know them, uh, their family, um, and yeah, and I mean, maybe support them prayerfully through giving as well, uh, Yeah, whatever that looks like for you. Uh, I'm not going to spoil too much of their story. They're going to share a little bit more here, um, but they, what they did uh, was pretty radical. Uh, I mean, really, there's not a better word for it. Um, they followed the Lord's call uh, to really uproot their family of five uh, here, and uh, from a, I mean, if I may be so bold, a pretty comfortable, safe existence here in the Nashville area. Uh, they moved to Potsdam, Germany, um, which that city name might sound familiar. That is one of our church partners uh, where, where they served for the last uh, last five, six years now. Yeah, um, that's crazy. Yeah, absolutely crazy. Um, now, I should give a little context here. So Potsdam, Potsdam is in many ways the exact opposite of Nashville, um, but especially especially in the context of Christianity. Um, we, we joke, I think a lot, a lot of us here about ten, Tennessee, but especially Nashville being the buckle of the Bible belt. Um, you know, in Potsdam, 99% of the population, they're not yet believers. Um, so that, that's just one simple way that they look extremely different, right? Um, that's really higher than just about any, anywhere in the world, uh, so the harvest is plentiful. Um, this, you know, for me, as, as I think about that, it's an especially bitter pill to swallow. Um, thinking about, you know, Potsdam is less than 45 miles down the road from Wittenberg, which is where the uh, Refor- Reformation kicked off, you know, 500 years ago. Um, so that's a pretty, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it's a pretty quick about face, right, for a, for a region to do. Um, so in some ways, you could think, you know, Potsdam was also squarely in the Bible Belt of Germany uh, for a good long time, but now it's an atheistic capital. Um, and, you know, after postmodernism gave way to post-Christian uh, thinking, um, and it's into that context that the Bruins family, all, all five of them, stepped, uh, stepped into uh, now six years ago. Um, yeah, so I, I just, I just want to close up and say, but as they come up, you guys are, are welcome to come on. Um, yeah, as they come to share some practical tips to live faithfully, uh, live winsomely uh, here in, in, a, in a foreign context, uh, not just uh, you know, as Americans in Germany, but as believers in this world. Um, everyone, please give a, a healthy, uh, I don't healthy, what in the world? I, please, please give me a hearty, is the word I was looking for. A warm welcome to Nate and Brittany. Brown. A healthy. Yeah. Thank you, John. Um, thanks for that introduction. Guys, it's great to be here. It's great to see so many familiar faces. Um, as we met with Mark a couple weeks ago um, to talk about this Sunday and what it looked like, he mentioned that you guys had just finished up a study of First Peter, um, and you spent a lot of time talking about the elect exiles, so to speak. Um, and so, as John said, we know a lot of you guys. There's a lot of familiar faces for us, and that's fantastic. There may be some of you that are looking at us thinking, who in the world are these crazy people that they put up on stage to talk to us this morning? So we thought maybe the best place to start would just simply be to expand a little bit on what John said and tell you how we came to find ourselves as elect exiles in Germany. So for us, as he said, living this, your best life in Williamson County, God decided that that was not what he wanted for us. And so he, as we refer to it, lovingly yanked us out of Egypt and called us into the desert to wander with him um, through job loss. But what he was doing was basically deconstructing everything in our lives so that we had to grow a faith that depended on him for everything, our direction, our strength, anything and everything, our provision. Um, And that was vital so that 11 months later, as we took that first mission trip to Germany, 
our hearts were in a place that we could say yes as he connected our heart to that place and called us into the mission field there. So July 2016, we launched with our family, our three kids, who were all a lot smaller then, um, to Potsdam, Germany. I think the big thing I want you to take from that, I, I don't know where you're at right now in life. You may be in one of those desert moments yourself. Don't miss God in that. Don't miss his whisper, his small voice in that, because I guarantee you he wants to teach and grow something in you that will be necessary for what's to come. So we've been doing ministry there um, for the past six years, and over those years, our ministry has taken on many different forms. Um, In all of it, it's very highly relational. Some people call that relational ministry. Some people call that relational evangelism. We just kind of call that doing life there in Potsdam with people. Um, My focus for the most part over the past six years has been more inside the church. Um, I've been part of the leadership team of this church plant that's growing into a grown-up adult established church at this point. Um, I was one of the worship leaders there and part of that leadership team as well. Um, I was very heavily involved in small group ministry and helping think through and shape what that looked like in their context, um, as well as a lot of one-on-one mentor, discipleship, coffees, things like that. Yes, we host a lot of people in our home on a continual basis. We have a philosophy that our door is always open. And so um, every given night, there's probably somebody, if not multiple, somebody's, <clears throat> excuse me, sitting at our dinner table with us. Um, we hang out with lots of young adults, lots of newlyweds. We bounce lots of babies. We now have a line item for wedding gifts and baby gifts um, on our budget. Um, in addition to that, um, my focus has really been out in the city, whereas Nate has been in the church. I've been out in the city. Um, And one of the things in the city that I've done is really intentionally start a women's book club. And that book club has um, connected uh, women inside the church with women inside the city. Um, And the other thing I've been really intentional with um, is our connection with the local sex trafficking ministry that's at work and a prayer ministry out of that. Um, What we want you guys to really hear from us today um, is that this is not about Nate and Brittany. Um, This is about what God has done through Nate and Brittany. We just happen to be the willing vessels uh, that he chose to use. Um, If you hear any part of our story or any part of our sharing that sounds like it's about us, it's just because we're not communicating well. I promise this has nothing to do with us and it has everything to do with him. This is God's story and what God is doing. And while our family's story is woven in, In between all of that, this is really God's story of what he's growing and his kingdom um, that he's setting up in Potsdam. And John, thanks for that setup. You know, just like teed the ball up perfectly for that. Um, John set up our context very well. It's very post-Christian. We engage with people that don't think like us, don't believe like us, 99% of our day. Um, But what I want to tweak on that just a little bit is I think... There's probably a large portion, even here in Nashville, that you run into the same thing. Um, I think America is quickly becoming a post-Christian society. In fact, many places are probably already there. Um, What we want to do today is just share with you what we've learned living and working in that type of environment. And our hope is that you'll be encouraged, that you'll just find something maybe that you can take out of that that helps equip you for your own relationship building within the city that you find yourself. 
So how do we do ministry? How do we engage the culture and the people around us? Um, I guess our overarching theme is that we live out the conviction of our heart in such a way that others can engage with it. You know that old adage that says, people don't care what you know until they know how much you care. We find that to be especially true where we are in former East Germany, where there's a pervasive spirit of mistrust that's been instilled over decades. Um, But I'd argue that the same is true here in the U.S. as well. There have been decades of mistrust that have been growing between differing political factions, various people groups, um, just simply between the church and society as a whole. And so we've tried to and have have done so. Um, Brittany corrected me on that when I was like, we tried to. She's like, no, we actually did. We broke this down and what we do and tried to into four main themes or thoughts as to how we do ministry where we are. The first one is it takes a lot of grace. Um, Number two, we take the posture of a learner. Um, We're very curious where we are and have to be. Number three, we seek to see all people as created in the image of God. And number four, it takes a lot of intentionality, especially with our time. Yeah, so I'm going to jump in on that first one. Um, It takes a lot of grace. It takes a lot of grace for yourself. It takes grace for other people. It takes grace for not yet believers. It takes grace for believers. It takes grace for new believers. You guys just finished studying 1 Peter 1, 22, and it says, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. We live as known people, and we live knowing the people that are around us. We invite them into the love and the grace of Jesus by expressing our own need for the love and the grace of Jesus. We are deeply, our hearts are deeply dependent on Jesus's grace. And we live that out knowing that we have to grow our grace for ourselves. And as we grow our grace, it grows our compassion. Those things go hand in hand. It's one of the most distinguishing characteristics of God, compassion. And compassion, don't hear me in this, compassion is not sympathy, compassion is not sadness, those, those things lead to pity. And compassion is not pity for people. Compassion, when it's spirit-led, sees your own need for grace before you identify it in other people. It compels you towards a relationship. It, hear me in this, that, that shift in your mind is a subtle shift, but an important shift. It allows you to say, I accept Um, uh, You don't have to say, I accept your behavior. Rather, you can say, I accept you in the context of your behavior. And what that allows you to do is engage in the really hard and uncomfortable things that come about. And and those things do come about. Um, One example, I got a text one Saturday afternoon from a friend of mine and said, hey, can we talk? Do you have time to talk? And I said, sure, come on over. So just had a sense it was something more, something different, a little bigger than maybe just a normal, let's hang out and have coffee. So we shut the living room doors and we sat on the couch and he proceeded for the next hour and a half, two hours to confess to me that he had cheated on his wife, that he was no longer happy in his marriage and he wasn't sure what to do about it. Well, towards the end of our conversation, I just looked at him and I said, I don't know exactly what you want from me. I don't know what it is you want me to say at this point. If what you're looking for is for me to say, 
way to go, man. I support your decision. Go for it. Yes. I can't do that. Like, that goes against everything that I know to be true, and that goes against the convictions of my heart. But what I can tell you is this. I'm your friend, and I will stay your friend, and I will walk with you through this. I won't turn my back on you, and I won't run away from you. I'll walk through the hard stuff with you. What my friend needed in that moment was not my conviction. That's the Holy Spirit's job. He was feeling that. What he needed was my grace-filled compassion. And so the second thing that Nate mentioned and the second thing that we're diving into is that we take the posture of a learner. Um, We are curious about other people. We ask lots of questions as we seek to understand the people that we are around and understand them better. Yeah, and and our curiosity is genuine. Um, It's a reflection of that sincere love that Brittany mentioned earlier that Paul describes in 1 Peter 1.22. Philippians 2, 3 through 4 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only at your own interest, but also the interest of others. When we set aside our own desires, it allows us to give ourselves over fully to loving others. And, and that comes out not as being half-hearted or fake. It's, it's a true, genuine interest in others. Another really important thing is that we don't have an agenda when we're curious about people. Um, Of course, we want everyone around us to come to faith, to know Jesus. That's why we're there. That's that's why we're all here. That is the Great Commission. However, we don't want them to feel like a project because they're not. The things we learn, the more we know people, it helps you. As those opportunities do come up to share the gospel, to share Christ, to know how to communicate that in a way that they can understand and receive well. But our main focus in being curious about people and being learners is to love them and love them well, exactly where they are, while trusting God to do the work inside of their hearts. Yeah, and while you are talking about that heart work, that really brings us to the third thing that Nate talked about. Um, Nate and I, we see all people created in the image of God. Um, It's one of the first things that God wants us to know. It's right at the beginning of the Bible. Um, In Genesis 1.27, it says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We see, Nate and I see, all people. We take God at his word. We, we see all people as created in the image of God. And as we see each person created in the image of God, therefore, they have value and they have worth. Every single one of them has value and worth. And we, to the best of our human ability, lovingly and carefully call out that image that we see inside of them. I have two really good friends of mine, and both of them are um, professing atheists, and I've lived a lot of life with them um, over really the past five years that I've known them. Um, Through circumstances that only God can explain, I got to um, lead them through an Alpha course. And if you've never done Alpha before, it's a video series where you actually share the gospel and you're laying out the foundations of what it is to have a relationship with Christ. It's a really powerful series. Um, And throughout this Alpha course, um, I finally, over dinner, I looked at my friends and I said, I'm going to take a risk tonight. And they said, okay. And I said, I believe that God created the world. 
I believe that God created you. I believe that he created me. And um, I believe because he created us that we all bear an image of him. And, and I want you to know that when I look at you, and I looked at one of them, and I said, I see your loyalty. You are so loyal to people, and it's this beautiful thing. And I looked at my other one, and I said, and when I look at you, what I see is compassion. And it's this beautiful thing of compassion that's inside of you. And when I see your loyalty and your compassion, it's a reflection of the God that I believe in, who I believe created you. And it was this unbelievable moment that they just soak in for a moment. It wasn't repelling to them. It was something beautiful that they absorbed inside of them. Mm, yeah. The fourth thing that we mentioned earlier is that it takes a lot of intentionality, um, especially with our time. And so spending intentional time with someone allows you to grow the trust, which gives you the right and, and the respect that is needed to be able to share the gospel with someone. They're willing to sit there and, and listen to what you have to say. So for us, the desire um, for a relationship, it creates a willingness in our lives to be inconvenienced. It, it moves us to action. We see the stewardship of our time um, as an opportunity to put God's love into practice in very practical ways. Um, I've got a really funny story about being intentional with your words and your invitations. That's also very important, especially in German society, but I would say anywhere. Be intentional with your words and your invitations. And I got hit with that really fast when we first arrived in Germany. You know how here you run into somebody at a coffee shop, maybe you haven't seen them in months, maybe a year, and it's just like, man, it was great to see you. You know, we should grab coffee sometime. You're like, okay, great. And you walk away and then like, I don't know, eight, nine months later, you run into them again, and you're like, hey, it's so good to see you. We should grab coffee sometime. Really what we need to be saying is, great to see you. Have a nice day, because I think that's really what we mean when we should have coffee sometime. Germans are a little different. So when we were first there, I saw someone was like, oh, it's really nice to meet you. You know, we should really grab coffee sometime. And that person proceeded to pull out their phone and their calendar and go, yes, that would be great. What do you have on Tuesday at 10? I mean, I was like this big-eyed emoji thing happening there. I was like, what? But I really quickly learned that words are important, and, and words matter, and to be intentional with my words and my actions. And so now, you will probably feel that from us if you run into us when we say, hey, it would be great to have dinner together, grab coffee, great. What does next week look like for you? Um, don't, don't be afraid. That, that might happen. Um, but I just encourage you, as you run into people, as you have these things, be intentional with your words. Be intentional with your actions and your invitations. Maybe be a little more German next time and pull out that calendar and schedule it right then and right there. Um, another thing that we've really worked hard to do is intentionally create relationships within the proximity of which we live. What are the places that you visit on a daily basis? Where, where are the things, what are the things you do on a daily basis? So for us, for me, that looked like coming out of COVID. I really wanted to get back in the gym and try to get back into shape. But I didn't just want to do that. I wanted to do it intentionally. So after visiting the, the gyms in the area, I picked the one that would allow me to run into players from the American football team that we have there in Potsdam and intentionally grow relationships with them. Because my hope is one day to grow a sports ministry out of that. But it starts with relationships and it takes time. 
And so for Brittany, what that looked like was every Monday she does our grocery shopping. And she thought, how can I use this time? I'm going shopping anyway. So she intentionally picked out the same grocery store at the same time so that she's running into the same cashiers and the same grocery workers. And she's building over time relationships with these people in a nice, easy, and natural way. Um, It is really, it's a lot of intentional steps, even the small ones, that add up over time. An easy way for us is we have people into our home. As Brittany said earlier, we have a lot of people into our home. Many of them are non-believers. They're just friends of ours from the neighborhood. One small way that we try to intentionally live out the convictions of our heart in a way that they can engage with, when they come over and we sit down to dinner, I just look at them and I say, we usually pray before our meal here in this home. Are you okay with that? I have yet to have someone say, no, 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 no. That's, that makes me feel really weird and uncomfortable. They're really intrigued, to be honest with you, because most of them have had zero interaction with anything of that sort. John said we're post-Christian, post-modern. We're probably post-atheistic at this point. The idea of God is even something foreign where we are. Yeah, and so as Nate said, the, um, the intentionality, and we have lots of people in our home. Um, sometimes even just the intentionality with your time of hosting small group in your house um, leads to things that you don't realize. Um, Sometimes it's the intentionality of going to the same grocery store and you've had the opportunity to invite one of them to church. Um, Sometimes it's just them being in your presence. We have a girl that's in our small group and she had been in our small group for three years and she had a lot of trauma from her family of origin. Um, She, um, the relationship that she had with her father was pretty traumatic, uh, to be really honest. And after three years of just living life with her, there really was not this intentional thing that Nate and I did with her. Um, She approached Nate one evening, and, and this is exactly what she said. You know, I have a really broken relationship with my father, and it is really hard for me when the Bible talks about God being our father. But watching you interact with your daughter, Sadie, has created for me a new picture of what a father relationship can look like and has redeemed in me what that relationship can be. Man, that is powerful. That is just simply living out the convictions of your heart in a way that people can engage with it. And she needed part of her story to be a redemptive story inside that. So we've talked about these four things, how we live out the convictions of our heart in a way that people can engage with them. It takes a lot of grace. We take the posture of a learner and we're very curious. We see all people as being created in the image of God. And it takes a lot of intentionality, especially with our time. So what does that mean? (laughs) What comes out of living life that way? At this point, I want to turn to 1 Corinthians 3, 6, where Paul writes, I planted, Apollos watered, but only God can make it grow. What we've just talked about, all the things we've discussed, it's planting and watering. You guys, we spend a lot of time tending soil in Potsdam. Um, But it's important to know this is not an A plus B equals C type of equation. We do this, and therefore God does that. What we have been blessed to see, however, are small evidences of what God is doing we get a front row seat to see God growing things in people. Yeah, part of that evidence is that they simply become curious. 
Um, we talked about us taking the posture of a learner and us curious about them. And the more that we pour into that relationship, they in turn really become curious about you. Um, I promise it is not the food that I make and the things that I set on my table. Even I am not the best. Great. I'm not the best cook. Um, they just want to hang out with us. Um, we love it, and we hear in our home often, I just love being in your place. It just is so peaceful. It just is so welcoming. You guys, that is not Nate and Brittany. What that is is the example of John 1, 4 through 5, which says, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You guys, what they are experiencing is the light of Jesus. They are interacting with the Trinity, something that they maybe have never been exposed to before, or maybe they've had exposure to it in a really unhealthy way, and all of a sudden they're engaging something that feels really beautiful to them. It feels welcoming and peaceful. Um, You guys, that light that's inside of you pierces the darkness. It clearly is said in his Bible. And um, to give another example, uh, we were out to a dinner party um, with some friends. And um, this gentleman looked at our, I don't know why we got the invitation to this place. We were way out of our league. We should not have been there by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and so uh, the, one of the guests at the party looked at the host and said, well, how do you know these guys? Because we were really out of place. And, um, and she said, oh, These are my American friends. And again, we were out of place, and he said, "Um, well, why do you hang out together? And she said, hmm, they're just really positive people. And we just love being around them. They're always so positive. They're always so positive. You guys, that's the joy of Jesus. And she can't name that. She can't explain that. What she has for that is we're just positive people. Um, But she's experiencing that. And Nate, will you tell about our neighbors across the street? Yeah. Okay. So when we first arrived at our place there in Potsdam, we had parked our car in our little courtyard. We had a team meeting up in Berlin. So we'd taken the train up there and came back late that evening. As we come home and we walk into the courtyard, you just ever get that sense that something's missing. Something's off. And looking around, I was like, Brittany, our car is gone. Like, I know I parked it here. It's gone. I don't know where it is. So either it's stolen or it's been towed. After hours of getting help from a German friend, him calling the police and those things, come to find out our car had been towed. Not just towed, but towed because of our neighbor down in front of us. And I thought, hmm. Being a missionary does not exempt you from human emotions. Let's just be really clear about that. I, man, I did not sleep well that night. I was in a Jacob-type wrestle with the Holy Spirit. I tossed, I turned, my flesh wanted to go downstairs, take my nice house key, and just run it down the side of his really nice car. Like, that's what I physically wanted to do. But the Spirit was reminding me, that's not what God's called you into. That's not living out who you are in me. I finally got to sleep. Next day, I was standing on our balcony, um, just kind of looking out over the courtyard, and I noticed it started to rain. And I looked down. And there's my neighbor's really nice car with the sunroof still open. Again, the flesh inside of me, that human part goes, uh-huh, serves you right. And then the spirit comes in again and says, wait a minute, that's not how I've called you to live. 
After a few deep breaths and gathering myself, put on my shoes, I walked out the front door of our place and around to the front of his, knocked on the door, and he very cautiously opened the door. And I could tell he was bracing himself for what was sure to be me absolutely unloading on him for towing our car. I just smiled. I stuck out my hand. I said, hi, I'm Nate. We're your new neighbors up there on the second floor. I want to introduce myself and just let you know it's starting to rain and the sunroof on your car is open. And I didn't want you to walk out tomorrow morning to go to work and have a wet car. And he just kind of shyly grinned and was like, uh, okay, thanks. You know, thinking, is that it? Is that all, is that all that's coming my direction? I just smiled and waved and said, hey, it was nice to meet you. You guys have a great evening. And I left. And what I want you to know is that God used that crazy situation of our car being towed by our neighbor to connect us. And now they are some of our best friends there in Potsdam. They are just dear friends of ours. And we've been able to have wonderful conversations about church, about different things, and truly live this intentional life with one another because we lived out the convictions of our heart in a way that allowed them to engage with it. Mm -hmm. What, Nate, that evidence of that, the other evidence that we've been really able to see is that it creates this safe space and this trust inside a relationship. Um, You guys have been studying 1 Peter, and in 1 Peter 3.15, it says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. You guys, they ask questions of us, and we can give answers to them because we've invested the time. We've built the trust. And also, we can give answers to them because they trust that our answers are going to be gentle and they're going to be kind because of the relationship that we've built with them over time. You guys, sometimes the answer that we give to them is silence. And um, my language learning has been the thorn in my side since I got there. Um, And it's been this thing that has been just this greatest struggle that has caused many a tear and lots of anger um, from me. Um, I always saw it as this burden until one day I was just marching in the woods, praying and stomping and crying and crying out to the Lord in a whole lot of anger to say, why have you done this? Why can I not be more fluent? Um, And the conviction of my heart inside of that is a trust that keeps growing inside of me over time. And it's what is growing inside of me is that he will do the convicting through his own spirit. It's not my job. I don't have to have an answer to everything. That's not how I was created. And that my silence can actually be a gift. I don't have to be somebody else's Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does a really good job of doing that. And so what does it look like for us to create those safe spaces of trust and, and um, understanding and being silenced? What that looked like for me is I spend a lot of time with language learners, um, with private tutors. Um, and I use that time with my private tutors to be really intentional with that time. Um, and one of my tutors is this incredibly PhD-trained um, self-proclaimed 
feminist. And um, she loves to read biographies and autobiographies of strong, powerful women. And guess what? I like to read those too. And so when she found that out about me, she started tailoring all of my lessons that we would read these biographies and autobiographies of these strong women in German. And as we got towards the end of um, some of our lessons, she looked at me and she said, oh, Brittany, I've been thinking, what, we, what can we study next? Um, and she said, I thought about studying strong women in the Bible, but there just aren't any. There's just Mary. So I've decided we will study interesting men. And when we got done laughing about studying interesting men, I guess we'd run out of strong women. I looked at her and I said, oh, but there's so many strong women in the Bible. Would you allow me to take the next six weeks and let me be the teacher and you be the student? And she said, oh, yes, I think that would be so fun. You guys... The Lord used this silence in me that was this edifying thing that needed to happen in me, but he grew this incredible relationship out of it that had space for trust. And, and in that, I was able to take those over that curiosity that was there as well. I was able to tailor six of those lessons as we walk through um, Ruth and Naomi and Rahab. I looked at as I'd learned what her image of God was, which was this artist, this creator, and I was able to weave artistry and creativity inside those um, lessons, which drew out more of that image of her, that was of God that was inside of her. Hmm. So we get ready to wrap up, band. You guys feel free to come on up. Um, We hope that something that we've shared today has given you guys some encouragement, maybe sparked an idea or two of how you can live out your convictions of your heart in the context in which you live in a way that others can engage with it. So as we shared, for us, it takes a lot of grace. We have to take the posture of a learner and be curious about the people around us. We see all people as created in the image of God, and it takes a lot of intentionality, especially with our time. So my question for you guys before Brittany closes us in prayer is, How can you live out the conviction of your own heart in such a way that the people around you can engage with it? Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we just come before you and are just so thankful for the work um, that you are doing, uh, not just in Potsdam, Germany, um, not just around the world, uh, but the work that is being done here in Nashville, Tennessee, and in each individual life that sits in the chairs before me. Lord, thank you for the work that you've done in my own life um, and the convictions of my own spirit. Lord, thank you for the convictions of of, um, the individual spirits that are out here, Lord. And Lord, I pray that you give encouragement to each and every one of them to live out those convictions in really tangible ways that the community and the culture that is around them can be engaged to further your kingdom, to draw them closer to you, that your gospel will be known in areas and pockets that it hasn't been known before. And Lord, I just pray that um, as we go forward in our day, that we are ever so mindful uh, to your voice that's in our ear and laid on our heart. And will you give us the willingness to be your vessel and to respond in such a way. 